this um, mission sermon has a text, and it's the uh, 16th chapter of the book of Acts. And I'll begin reading at verse 6. I need just a little more volume from the volume lady. The 16th chapter of the book of Acts, verse six through th- verses 6 through 13. And they passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mycenae, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A certain man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace and on the day following to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. In her book, So Send I Youth, So Send I You, Ruth Seabury tells a story of of a young son of a tribal chieftain in Portuguese West Africa. His name was Marcelino. And he went as a missionary to the frontier regions of his country. On one occasion, he and four laymen rode their bicycles for three days down to Angola to converse with her about the Christian faith. And as they were leaving, one of the party said, We're going out now through the door that you've opened for us, a big wide door to the world, and we're never going to let it get shut. We understand that when you join the church, you join a world thing. When you become a Christian, you become a part of a world thing. And you become the son of a God who is the God of a world thing. But traditionally and tragically, the church has been more exclusive than inclusive. Way back there, the problem, the mistake of the Jews was that they built this marvelous temple to God. And they thought, we've got him shut up in the box. And they worship the temple of God rather than the God of the temple. We've got him behind the four walls and they worship the walls. Ironically, when Jesus made the statement, the fields are white unto harvest, but the laborers are few. There were so many priests and Levites and semi-religionists in Jerusalem. At the very moment he said that, that they had to take turns performing the temple ritual. And while he saw the multitudes scattered without a shepherd, 
They were arguing about who was to perform the temple ritual. And the church became so exclusive and so shut up in Jerusalem that they almost split over whether the Gentile could be saved. And out of all of that exclusiveness emerged one of the blights upon Christian history called monasticism, convinced that they could neither change the world nor resist it. They took vows of celibacy and poverty and built great walls and hid behind them to keep the world out and to keep the folk in. Now, what does that mean for us today? Well, I'm not sure what it means for us today, but I do know that the song that has been sung this morning is more applicable to modern Christianity than the song, Like a Mighty Army Moves the Church of God. And I do know this, that the church that is not involved in missions, that is, in taking the gospel of Jesus Christ into every world's sphere, has no right to exist and no reason to preach the gospel. This text this morning gives us a marvelous beginning place to preach on missions because it suggests that our understanding of missions is founded and has its heart in the biblical concept of man, in the theology of man. For example, the opportunity of missions is a man, is an individual created in the image of God, is a man without Christ. For the vision of this text is the vision of one man appealing to another man. One man who is condemned because of his sin, reaching out to another man who is redeemed from his sin because of his grace. Two men who meet on the crossroads of history. One is on his way to heaven because he knows the, the Savior. The other on his way to hell because he knows him not. I think that when we hear about missions, we automatically think of nations and races and tribes and cultures. We think of Africa with its vast jungles and deserts and marvelous cities, and we ask, how can we do anything to change that? And we think of the great urban centers of America that are decaying in their crime and violence and poverty, and we ask, how can I penetrate those asphalt jungles? And we think of the Orient where people are jammed together on top of each other. And we want to know how that we can do anything to give people breathing room. We think of all of these multitudes and nations. And, that's, and the thought of it is just overwhelming. But really missions is not really nations and cultures and tribes and vast cities. Missions is a person appealing to another person. You see, missions is one man reaching out to another. And if we touch one life, then we've been a part of God's redemptive plan for the ages. Missions is a man out there. And soon night will fall on him and us. He's hungry. And dare we sleep tonight and dare we eat today until we've done our best to bring to that darkness the light of the world and to that hunger the bread of life. Missions is a person just like you. Oh, he may not uh, eat the same kind of food or have the same color of skin 
or dress with the same kind of clothing or sleep in the same kind of bed or move about with the same kind of transportation. But He's a person just like you, created in the image of the same God. And He has the same hopes and dreams and the same joys and sorrows and the same ambitions and doubts as you and I have. Missions is the father in Bellingham, Washington, the most beautiful city I've ever seen standing out in the hallway of a hospital, weeping his heart out. And a friend of mine, a pastor, had never seen this man before, never met him, came up and put his arm around him, see if there's anything he could do, found out the word had just come from the emergency room that his son didn't make it. He'd hung himself in the garage. Missions is the man in the bush country who cuts his face with sharp knives and then rubs cow dung in the wounds so they'll infect because he thinks the scars will appease his God. Missions is the man in India who walked 400 miles just to hear Billy Graham preach one time. Missions is the couple who stood out in the alley right behind my office Monday night and cursed each other until their rage mounted to crescendo and then they slapped and beat each other in the face. Missions is the Mennonites who came to West Texas who could neither read nor write and speak the English language and so our church got together and taught them how to read and write and had a mission service, Christmas service for them. In the fellowship hall of our church, turned out the lights and every person had a candle. They could speak, they could sing in German, so we sang Silent Night in English and they sang in German. I don't think I've ever been closer to God. Missions is the man in Africa who was bitten by a poisonous snake and he went to the witch doctor and he said a few words of hocus pocus over the finger, wrapped it in cow dung and tied leaves around it. And he almost lost his life, did lose his arm with infectious gangrene before he ever got to a mission hospital. Missions is the girl from the Midwest running with a motorcycle gang out in California, had a big button on her, on her shirt, I'm a boy toy. Missions is the girl in trouble, pouring out her heart in a torrent of tears. Missions is the boy in Brooklyn, New York with a split switchblade knife in his pocket who loved to play musical chairs. Missions is the elderly lady that Crombie talks about in Pensacola, Florida. Said, I went to see her in the nursing home. And there she was lying on her bed and surrounded by those iron rails. But she had this marvelous twinkle in her eyes. She said, as they talked about getting old, well, I heard all over, but it beats being dead. Then he said that twinkle went away and she got serious for a moment. And she said, the thing I hate worst about getting old is that nobody hugs me anymore said, Crombie, I thought of all the lonely people of the world. America has exploded and loneliness is the chief ingredient of the fallout. Those are the kinds of people that missions is. That's missions. One person reaching out to another person, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with him. Not races and nations and cultures and tribes, but people. And missions is... Um, is a person just like you, although he may not be as, as nourished and as prosperous as you. He's probably not, for most of the people of the world are poor and hungry. Did you know that 10,000 people will die today because of malignant malnutrition, starvation? 10,000 human beings will die today because they're hungry. 
Did you know that two-thirds of the world's population suffers from malignant malnutrition and acute hunger? And the family pet dog in the United States eats better and more than the average Indian laborer. And Hubert Humphrey said just before his death, that zone of despair and hopelessness that encircles the globe is being transformed by a knowledge that there's a better way of life out there. And the thing that haunts the hungry and the destitute of the world is this. A question that haunts them is this. Why do I suffer with nothing when just out there they have so much? And I agree with Riddle Hoover who said that our affluence in America has greatly curtailed our influence in America. So that if you took the world's population and you squashed it down and brought it down to a city the size of Kingston, the city of a thousand population, if you just reduced the world to a thousand people, this would be the proportion. 60 would be American, 940 would be non-American. 303 would be white, 697 would be non-white. The 60 Americans would own half the wealth in the town. They would live to be after over 70, while the rest of the world would die before they were 40. The rest of the non-American, the non-American part of the city would be ignorant and diseased and illiterate. Half of them would not be able to read or write. Half would be communist and half would have never heard the name of Jesus. And suddenly to my inward open vision, millions of sad faces came up to view. Sad eyes which said, for us, for us there is no provision. Give us the Savior too. Give us, they cry, your cup of consolation. Never to our outstretched hands tis past. We long for the desire of every nation, but oh, we die so fast. Missions is that kind, that person. The opportunity of missions is a person, is a man. Secondly, the means of missions is a man, is you is you. Now, I don't know if you caught this from the text or not, but it just leaps out of the text that God wants the Word in Macedonia. And so what did He do to get the Word in Macedonia? He just got Him a man. Now, Paul was unusual. He, in, indeed, he was a, a brilliant man. He was a great mind. But that isn't the secret of Paul's life as far as God is concerned. I want you to notice three things about this man this morning that, that I think are the secret of his life as far as God is concerned. There was this love and loyalty to Jesus Christ. There was this absolute trust in the guidance of the Spirit of God. And there was this watchful sensitivity to the needs of the earth, of the people of the world. In other words, I guess you could say that the Apostle Paul was just a man who was available to God, was open and available to God. Now, when God wants to take the message of, of good news, the gospel, He just finds somebody like that, somebody like you. For what is the history of missions except man in response to the call of God and to human need? If I live to be a hundred years old, 
I'll never forget the Sunday night. I asked in a sermon from the book of Acts. I was teaching the book of Acts in here summer, last summer a year ago. And I was giving the challenge to take the gospel of Jesus Christ where it had never been before. And I asked the rhetorical question, isn't there somebody who is willing to take the gospel to the needs of the world? It was a guy sitting up there in a the balcony right up there by himself. And he shouted down, I will. I like to faint it. Where would that guy come from? Two weeks later, he was headed to California, out to Eugene, Oregon, out to, out to the West Coast, went to Eugene, Oregon, down to California. When he got to Eugene, Oregon, he saw a BSU director that I directed him to. I don't know where he is today, but I do know that that was a moving experience in my life. For when I made the appeal, isn't there somebody, there was somebody who said, I will. I think that's the, at the heart of it. For, for you see, what, what is happening in this text is, there is, there is a person who decides that he wants to be a significant person in somebody's life. He wants to be a significant person in somebody's life. And if we were to press the question this morning, who influenced you into faith? I'm sure that everybody here would name somebody's name. If, if you were to say, if you were to answer, how are you influenced into faith? I'm sure that you would name somebody's name. Richard Swain writes for most of us in his book, What and Where is God? And when he says, My first glimpse of God was in the face of my mother. He said, One Sunday morning I leaned against her in church. I was five years old as she bowed to pray. When the prayer began, her face was tense and strained. But as the prayer continued, I saw it relax into a kindly glow and I realized I saw God in her face. Are you a significant person in somebody's life? A man and his wife became navigator missionaries in Libya. I suppose the hardest country, now they're not even permitted there, the hardest country at that time to preach the gospel, to take the gospel. They were there for several years, never one convert. Finally, one day, that young navigator minister, just a young man, died suddenly of a heart attack. His grieving wife got his body ready to bring it back to the United States. And as she was preparing to get to, to, for, her trans, for her transportation back to the States, one, one early one morning, the door, somebody knocked at the door. When she went to the door, there were some of the leaders of, Libyan, of the Libyan village, Muslims, standing there. She was frightened, all alone in, in Libya, without a husband. And they said, we've come for the body of your husband. Oh, she said... You, you can't have my husband's body. I'm taking it back to the United States for burial. They said, we must have your husband's body. We want to bury it in the shrine to our gods. She said, you can't have my husband's body. And they shook their heads and said, you Christians, I'll never understand. For 2,000 years, you've watched and waited for the coming of the Messiah. And when he came, you didn't even recognize him. Can it be said of you? Can it be said of you? The Messiah came and lived on Southeastern's campus for four years, disguised in the life of John Doe. Can it be said of you, Messiah came and he lived on Mulberry Street, disguised in the life of Sally Smith. Are you a significant person in anybody's life? 
And John Vassar went out knocking on doors one day, pressing the claims of Christ to someone's, to everyone who would allow him. A woman came to the door as he pressed her about Jesus. She slammed the door in his face. And he stood outside her door and sobbed. She stood there listening to the old man sob and heard him say, But drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. The next morning she was in church, gave her heart to Christ, said, When I saw and heard that old man pouring out his heart in a torrent of love for me, I had to have his gospel. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how shall they call in him on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How dare you, young people, say, I'm going to live my life as I please. I'm going to make a lot of money and buy a lot of things that are not worth anything. How dare you say that without considering God's will for your life? For the means of missions is a human being in response to the call of God. And the news, the nature of the gospel itself demands that it be told. Suppose that today you went downtown and somebody had free some of those marvelous Godiva chocolates. They're delicious. And they were giving them away free down on Main Street. You got your handful, ate about three of them. Would you tell any of your friends, hey, you can go down there and get some of the best food, the best chocolates? You can go down there if they're free. Would you tell that? Of course you would. Have you told anybody to come taste of the Lord, see that He is good? And suppose that Monday morning somebody set up in that little building right behind us here, a little shop giving away a thousand Cabbage Patch dolls. Now don't spread the word because I don't want to be stampeded in the morning. But... but what if somebody set up here in this little store and get, we're giving away a thousand Cabbage Patch dolls tomorrow? Would you tell anybody? Have you told anybody that in the sanctuary of First Baptist Church on this Sunday morning, God offers as a free gift the gift of eternal life? Have you told anybody? The opportunity of missions is a man separated from God. The means of missions is a man within the will of God. The inspiration of missions is a man, the Son of God. Now at the heart of this text, hear me now, wake up if you haven't been awake. At the heart of this text is this fact, notice this, that Jesus Christ Himself directs the expansion of His kingdom. Jesus Himself directs the expansion of His kingdom. That's what He says in the text. We wanted to go here, but Jesus forbade. At the heart of missions is this man who loved with His love, who gave His gifts, who sacrificed His life. The inspiration of missions is not songs and Lottie Moon and preachers, but Jesus Christ Himself. And because He came to another part of the world, why do we think we have a monopoly on grace in America? You know, we give the impression sometimes that Jesus 
was a uh, middle-class American, you know, from, from, from middle-class America, and that he was born at the altar of Southern Baptist Church. He was born in a faraway place. He had brown eyes and black hair and olive skin. He spoke a language that we'll never speak. But Jesus Christ is ours because He belongs to all men. And because He came to the world, to the earth, the earth should be the focal place of our ministry. Now, there's a lot of things going on in outer space. But I agree with that man who said, there's not been one thing found in outer space that's changed one essential situation down here or solved one single problem. There has been nothing gleaned along the Milky Way that will make the good life easier or wrong less attractive. Nothing has been found out there that will warm one heart that is chilled by loneliness, bandage one mind that's bleeding to death on doubt, or forgive one sin that's turned the soul prematurely gray. And I agree with the playwright who came out with, after that Russian went out into space and came back and said, I didn't find God there. When he wrote his play, play and, and pictured one of the spacemen out in space who did find God there. And God said, why don't you go back to the earth? That's the place where I have sent you. Why don't you go back to the earth and tell the people on it that you found me? And the cost of missions is yourself. It's amazing if you want to trace this text on out, that the Apostle Paul landed first in Philippi. You know what happened there? They put him in jail and they beat him into an inch of his life. For when you commit yourself to missions, you are committing yourself without reservation, without counting the cost to God's will in the world. Somebody said to another person, I don't like our church, it costs too much. I mean, they're always asking for money. And the person said, we had a little boy born into our home. He had an appetite. That sucker could eat everything in the house. Cost us a lot of money to feed him. Put diapers on him. He started his school. He was in everything. He was in athletics. Boy, it cost us a lot of money. He got off in college, found a girlfriend. Man, he was, it, it like ruined us. When he was a senior in college, he died. Now she said, which situation do you think we would prefer? I'm here to tell you that this church can die and won't cost you a thing. This world can die and won't cost you a thing. But the people that are changing the world are the people who have never one time sat down to see how much it cost. Because they first gave themselves. It'll cost you. It'll cost you some money. It'll cost you some time and prayer and tears. 
I don't know why I get so choked up at that song, except the fact that somehow I get off on these guilt trips that here I have it so easy. And these people in a world are lost and separated and starving. But I'm going to make you a promise that the people who are going to change this world are the people who are willing to pay the price. All human progress up to God has stained the stairs of time with blood. For every gain of Christendom has been won by someone's martyrdom. For us He poured the crimson cup and bade us take and drink it up. Himself He poured to set us free. Help us, O Christ, to drink with Thee. Ten thousand saints come thronging home from lion's den and catacomb. The fire and beast and sword defied. For Christ their King, they gladly died. With eye of faith, we see today that cross-led column wind its way up life's repeated Calvary. And we rise O Christ, to follow Thee. And God have mercy on your soul if you linger behind. May we pray together. Father, in the spirit of this moment, you all know that we have poured out our heart because there is so much in our heart. And now, Father, we leave the results of this message in your hands to glorify you till the Lord returns, to change the world where the world needs changing. We leave that calling which is beyond, which is without repentance, to you. Call us, Lord, in Jesus' name.